Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. <laughs> you know, I want to begin um, by just giving some clarity. This isn't what we're going to be talking about this morning, I think. <laughs> but I want to give some clarity to the last couple weeks. The last three weeks, I've read a, a transcript, right, from three different court sessions that were in the Court of Nations. The first one was the spirit of Jezebel. The second one was uh, the religious spirit. And then the one last week was the spirit of infirmity. And I want to give some clarification because I don't want anyone to be confused about a couple of things. First of all, in in reading the transcript, understand that this was a court session. Okay, this, this was not me preaching, okay? This was a court session. This was something that was laid out in the Court of Nations as a charge against these specific spirits and against Satan. Um, I do want to make clear, because there were some questions that came up last week about it. You know, am, am I saying that that uh, vaccinations are not good am i saying that that taking medication is not good or in, no it's not what i'm saying at all and i'm not saying it's good or bad I, what i will say with that is go to the lord on that because your particular situation he will show you he will tell you that's not what this was about this was about what took a pure plan that Jesus has for our lives, and how it became corrupted in this nation. How it became corrupted and ultimately gained authority to do the things that it did. Whether it be, you know, the Jezebel spirit, the religious spirit, or the spirit of infirmity. Because they all had different ways they came into the authority of this country. So that's the first thing I want to make very clear is is this is not a matter of oh okay well well now obviously this is what we believe so we don't do this no i'll tell you one thing is go to god go to god about everything because it doesn't mean that he does not provide avenues of relief or provide ways of relief that he's provided through technology or or whatever I'm not saying that What I am saying is if you just assume that and you have not gone to God in your relationship with him, then perhaps you are missing out on something that he has for you. I will say that. But the most important thing you can do is go to the Lord. Okay? Um, so, So I hope that clears up a little bit about last week. Now, in terms of this court, I want to say a couple things about this court as well. I know, now, now the people here, I, I know you're going to understand this a lot, lot more than, than many that, that might, uh, that are online. This is a new court that we had not been to before. Okay, this, however, <clears throat> is a court that humanity has not been to before. Okay, at least in terms of the church. And 
what is being done in this court is not an individual thing. This is different than the court of accusations, let's say. Court of accusations is where Satan comes and he accuses a specific person. Just like that's what you see in the book of Job. Satan went and said, well, if you take this away from him, then he'll not lift up your name. He'll not believe in you anymore. That was a court of accusation. That was accusation against Job personally. That is a personal court. When you go before the Lord and you ask forgiveness for your sin, maybe the Lord convicts you of something and you go before him and you ask forgiveness just on your own and you know, you're just in your quiet time. That is going before that court. You may not not necessarily recognize it as that. It may not be the formality of what it is when it's in intercession, but it's the same thing. You're going before the Lord and you're saying, I agree with my enemy. I agree with the one that I have given authority to. I agree, Father, because you, your Holy Spirit has convicted me of this sin. I'm in agreement that I did that. I'm in agreement that I have offended you and offended our relationship. So I come before you and I ask forgiveness. I ask forgiveness. That's going before the court of accusation. Now, what most Christians don't understand, and they they have never really been taught to understand this, is that there is a second part to that. Because when it talks about As a Christian, as a son of God, or a child of God, you are given authority over snakes and scorpions. It's talking about over over the enemy, over spiritual things over the enemy. Okay, It doesn't mean that you have authority just because you are a child of God. Understand that. That gives you the right to that authority. But you have to walk in... In that purity of getting rid of the authorities that you've given before. Let me give you an example. Okay, let's use an easy example. Everybody's done. A lie, right? Okay, everybody's lied. Everybody from little lie to big lie, whatever. Let's just use this spirit of lying. Okay, you, you tell a lie, knowing full well you shouldn't have told the lie, but you tell a lie to gain something somewhere else. The Lord then convicts you of that. Well, what happened when you did that? What literally happened was you gave authority to that spirit. It's almost like you signed a document and said, I give you the right to have authority in my life. I, ha- I give you the right... To be in my life whether I like it or not. Roll up that contract, hand it to that spirit, and say, here you go. You now have authority in my life. Now that's the reality of what happened. Obviously in our mind, we're not thinking that. We're just thinking, well, I just, you know, I just told a little lie. You know, I, I, I really got more change back than I was supposed to. And, and so I just kept it for myself. You know, dumb little lie, right? But in effect, what you're doing is giving authority away in that avenue of your life. Now, Satan always starts out small. You ever notice in sin, when when you see somebody that has a stronghold in their life, 
Okay, let, let's, let's take one that is obvious, like alcoholism. Okay, having a stronghold of alcohol or having a stronghold of drugs because there's external manifestation of that. When a person's drunk, you see they're drunk, right? Okay, so let's say that, that you have this in your life. Did it start out by, now I am just a drunkard. I decided this morning waking up, I will have this drunkenness in my life that I cannot control, that I just have to have another drink, or I have to take these drugs. No, it's not how it works. That's not how Satan works. It starts out with a small authority. And you hear it all the time. Well, that little thing's not going to hurt you. You know, that, that little drink's not going to hurt you. That, you know, just marijuana, it's not even really technically a drug. It's not going to hurt you. You know, but what I'm telling you is in the reality of that, the reality erasing the spiritual aspect of it, that's a true statement. Will it hurt your body? Perhaps not. But what you're giving is authority. That's why they call these things gateways. You ever wonder why they call marijuana a gateway drug? It's because it opens doors to greater things. What you're doing is you're giving authority to something that you get something in return for. A feel good. Maybe, I know oftentimes for, for someone who drinks, they drink to take what? The edge off. You know, they drink to get rid of some of the stress that they're under. You know, let me tell you something. That's one of the worst reasons to do something. Because the authority that you're given is even greater. Because it's not about what you're actually doing. It's about what you're aware of in terms of giving for that relief of of something. Am I I making sense? I want to be relieved so bad of this pain. Instead of turning to the Lord, I'm going to turn to this drink. I'm going to turn to these drugs. I'm going to turn to sex. I'm going to turn to whatever can take my mind off something so I don't have to feel this pain. I'll tell you probably the biggest one, and this one hits all of us. It's food. How often, especially in America, do we turn to food to make us feel better? I'm guilty. I think everybody's guilty of that one. And so we don't understand, we don't really notice the power of the authority that we give over until we have a problem with it. By the time a problem manifests in our life over it, trust me, there is heavy authority there. Now, when you go before the Lord, the Holy Spirit convicts you of something. You go before the Lord and you say, Lord, forgive me of this sin. Forgive me. You are going before the court of accusations and you're saying, I agree with this. What you have convicted me of, Holy Spirit, I'm in agreement with and I ask forgiveness for. And you crush that spirit that has had authority. You take that contract literally because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You rip it up and you throw it away. The thing the church doesn't understand is then you have to do the next part which is you have a right 
To take that spirit that had authority in your life, that no longer has authority in your life because of forgiveness, and you can bind it in Jesus' name and cast it to the abyss in Jesus' name. See, if we don't do that, even because of unawareness, then we allow a spirit to become what's called a familiar spirit. It's a spirit that is used to working with us, used to coming after us, knowing the ins and outs of how to deal with us. And yet we have the right to get rid of them. That's been one of the plights of the church ever since Satan was able to get his claws in such a way to say, you don't have to worry about the enemy. That is so profoundly untrue that you don't have to worry about the enemy. You are called to be a warrior against the enemy. Do you understand that? And when the church gets that, then the church is going to understand the authority that the church is given. You have that authority in your own life. Now, the court that we've been going to is different than that personal court, but the operation is really the same. This new court is over the effects of a nation, right? You have in Ephesians chapter 6 that, that we deal, we fight not against flesh and blood, right, but against principalities, against powers, against all these layers of authority that are not of this world. But they're spiritual. You have all the way from what we would call principalities, which are fallen angels, that third that came with Satan, all the way down to your lower level demonic spirits. And I'm not going to get into the differences or anything else. But understand that it is a warfare that you have authority to fight in. Not only that, you have a calling to fight in it. There is not a single Christian who can say, oh, I'm not called to warfare. You know what those people are called? They're called the blind leading the blind. That's who they're called. Because if you're on a battlefield, guess what? You're fighting whether you think so or not. So in this court of nations, it is about going before. We've been... We've been uh, called to go before this court of nations to fight for the influence over a nation. And it's not just a nation. In this case, obviously, it's America, but it's bigger than America. It's really over a certain region, which I won't get into that right now either, but just think of it as America. So as Christians, we're given the right to stand up for the place we live. By the way, do you know you have that right? You live in America, you're an American citizen, you have a right to a voice. Systematically, Satan shut that down too. He shut down the voice of the church here in America. And, and he's done it all over the world. That's the purpose for this court of nations. So I, I, I just wanted to explain that a little bit, because I know it can get a little confusing, especially 
for some of those online thinking, you know, what kind of lesson is this? What kind of teaching is this? It's, it's not teaching. It's kind of like if you pulled up court TV and you just started watching a trial, you're not really going to understand that is teaching you how to be a lawyer. You, is there still court TV? More is on, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, but I, I just wanted to make sure that that was, uh, that was understood because we're going to be in the court of nations for a while. We're going to be in the court of nations for a while. We've got several more for this region, and then we have six more regions. There are also other courts. As I said, there's court of accusations, which is a personal court. There's court of nations. We know there's a court of restitution. And I was before the Lord this past week, and I was asking him about that. Asking him, okay, how, how do we operate in this? And, and he said, I'm putting it together for you. I'm like, wow, couldn't we have that yesterday? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there is a, a court of restitution. And it is a court just like any other court. There is a format to how we go before the Lord. Why? Because the Father is righteous. I can't tell you how many times I've been in court arguing something, thinking, oh, for sure, I'm arguing before the Lord, and he's just going to slap Satan down in this one. And what comes out of his mouth is, this is a just court and a fair court. And he either allows whatever what was said or or gives them a chance or whatever. I mean, ultimately, Satan just, he's really fighting losing battle. He really is, because everything he is about is against God, who happens to be the judge. Right? But yet, even with that, God is fair. Because love requires that. So, I don't know how many other courts there are. I'm guessing there are more. I'm guessing that there are courts that will be involved in eviction. Eviction of a principality. Eviction of authorities that have lost their authority. They still have to be evicted, right? And I'm just guessing on that. I, I don't know that for sure. But, but I, I did want to explain that because I'm not reading a transcript today. Um, I, I won't say when our next court case is, but, uh, but it is coming up very soon. And this one's a big one. If you remember what happened last week, you'll understand why this is a big one. Because Satan ran. And I think we are afforded a very unique opportunity because of that. In fact, I'm going to read something to you. I, I, I didn't want to, but I feel the Lord wants me to. I want to give you a glimpse of what's coming. And I don't expect you to wrap your arms around this because I've not been able to yet, not yet. I'm getting there, a little bit, slowly but surely. But after we did the second court case, the father said, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2. 
or this was, I'm sorry, this is after the first court case. It was after the Jezebel court case. He said, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2, and he had me begin to read the letter to the church of Thyatira, which deals with Jezebel. And I'm not going to go through all that. I want to read to you something at the end, though, because this is where he took me with it. And this is, remember, this is Jesus who wrote these letters. Okay, these letters were not written to Jesus. This was Jesus, if you don't believe me, read Revelation chapter 1. It'll tell you who wrote these. These were written from Jesus, transcribed or dictated, if you will, by John. But this is from Jesus' mouth to the churches. But he took me to verse 26. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works. This is, in this specific case, it was the conquering of, of uh, the spirit of Jezebel. And keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if you're a good studier of the Bible, and you take seminary classes, and you study eschatology and all the... What, what you're going to recognize here is that this is exactly talking about Jesus in the millennium. Because we know Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. He is going to come, and his second coming will be to come in victory. It will to become as a conqueror, and he will lead the nation of Israel... Globally, right? Out of Jerusalem. So, I was good with that my whole life. I was good with that, teaching that my whole life. Yeah, that's talking about Jesus. I never noticed this little phrase. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father. See what he's saying here. Jesus is writing to the church saying, You have to understand I am giving you authority. I'm giving you authority to rule nations. He's saying, church, you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be in charge of things. You're not supposed to just sit back and just receive the blows that Satan gives through the world. You're supposed to be leading the world. You're supposed to be leading from the pulpit. You're supposed to be leading from the Bible study. You're supposed to be leading from your own life. Leading in this country, and yet you don't. But he's saying, to the one who conquers, to my bride, that ready bride who conquers, and keeps my works until the end. To them I will give authority over the nations. And they will rule with a rod of iron. Now, what, by the way, what is that? Does that mean that, that it's anarchy and you rule with, you know, beating everybody down? That's not what it's talking about. It's ruling with the precision of purity. With the precision of relationship that produces 
that purity, relationship in Jesus Christ. But the thing that blew me away when he showed me this after that first court case was verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. See, that's something that theologians really grapple with because, see, the morning star is Satan. Jesus is called the bright and morning star. Difference. But Satan is the morning star. So, you know, before, when I used to teach that, I, I would just gladly skip over verse 28. Because how, how is... It makes sense to me, in the millennium, we know Jesus will be given the morning star. He will have complete control to cast him into the abyss for a thousand years. We know that because it says it right there. Okay, but the part that rocked me is this is not being, being written to Jesus. This is Jesus saying, even if I have received the authority from my Father, I am telling this to you, my church. If you do these things, then not only will you rule nations, not only will you be able to rule with this purity of relationship with Him, but I will give you the morning star. Now, I'm not going to preach like I even have a clue as to what that means. I know it means Satan. I'm sure it means something about his influence. Because that's what's going to be relieved in the thousand year reign, is his influence. I don't know what that looks like in the readying of the bride. I can tell you what I think, though. I think it's the same thing. I think it's that his influence becomes crushed. I do know this. His seven generals, beginning with Abaddon, that are over this world, will be cast to the abyss. I do know that. Biblical proof of that is in Revelation 9, verse 11, where they come back. They come back out of the shaft. And they come back just a little irritated. Right? They literally produce the first woe in Revelation. The first woe in the judgment of this world. So I know they're going to be cast. I don't know how Satan's influence will be stripped, but I am confident that it will be. I'm confident that it will be. Why? Because what Jesus is doing through his bride is a parallel to what he desires to do with Israel. Now, there are many theologians that have taken a very wrong turn on this and said, well, yeah, really what happened was the church replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology. There is nothing more of Satan than that theology. Israel is God's chosen people. They were, they are, they will be. That will not change. The church did not replace Israel. 
But in effect, because Israel rejected the Savior, rejected the very Messiah that was said to come for them, because they rejected him, it says in Hebrews, and says also in, in Romans, that because of that, we're let in. And Paul even says, it was the plan all along. Says that in Hebrews, and by the way, Hebrews can be really hard to understand. If you don't understand what's really going on, it is not a replacement of. It was an inclusion into. See, it, why do you think it says that, that the church was grafted in? We were grafted into what he's doing. Literally for the purpose of jealousy. To show, for Jesus to show, oh my goodness, this is what I want to do with you, Israel. This is what I want to do. I want to build relationships so you love me and trust me and take me as your king because this is what I want to do with you. Because he said he will not come again until they call for him. That's what he's going to do with the bride. So in order for that to become the case, these things will happen. The morning star will be given into the church's hands. Again, I don't know what that means. I don't know if he'll be cast. I don't know if it's just his influence that's stripped. I don't know if, if the father will just tell him to go sit in a corner somewhere. Have no idea. Don't even care. Because ultimately the truth of the matter is that his influence will not be heavy within the bride. Now, why is this important? Man, I'd ask you, why isn't it? <laughs> this is huge, guys. The opportunity that we're living in right now is huge. Why do you think it says with each letter, it says, he who has ears, let him hear. You all have ears. I have ears. It doesn't mean we hear, though. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to understand it. And it's not about, and I'm not saying this to you guys, it's not about learning all the intricacies of, of how the Greek does this and the pretense does this. And, and, well, it really could mean this because of the way the structure. Man, alive, that's a lot of work. A lot of work where 90% of the chance you're going to get it, you're, you're going to get it wrong. Because you're not going to the source. I promise you. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and you're beginning to build relationship with Him, I promise you, if you go to Him and say, send your Holy Spirit to help me understand this. Because, see, you wrote this to me. You wrote it to me and I need to understand it because I, I, want, I want the purity of relationship with you. I want all these things. Man, I want, I want the morning star to be stripped of influence. I want those seven generals to be in the abyss. I want the readying of the bride. I want Revelation 3 verse 9 to come to pass. I want all this. Why? Because it will ultimately bring on 
When that bride is ready, the groom to come get her. See, it's no different if you understand Jewish wedding and Jewish ceremonies and all that. Did I just knock it down? Sorry. It, it, go ahead and see if you can fix it. See, what you, ha- what you have to understand is when, 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 in a Jewish wedding, when they become betrothed, okay, especially, I, I don't know if it's so much this way anymore, this is how it used to be, the groom would leave. And then he would come back at a time not specified. He would come back as a surprise. And so what was the bride doing the whole time that he was gone? Making herself ready. That's why in the parable of the, of the ten virgins, you have five that took care of their oil and five that didn't, that used it up. Because they didn't know when he was coming back. And, and so the five that took care of their oil were, were diligent in making sure they were ready. Are you following me? You guys getting this? See, as the bride, we have to make sure we're ready for him. What does that mean? Well, I, I just need to know everything in the Word of God. Let me Give me a good message on eschatology so I could get a pretty good feel of how everything lays out. And then I'm good, Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready to come and watch what you want to do. Meanwhile, he's saying, oh man, you're missing it. It's not about the intellectual property that I've given you in this word. It's about the relationship that I want you to have because of it. That's what he wants. So I don't know what he's going to do in terms of giving the bride the morning star. But I can tell you this. Satan ran. Do you remember that last week? In the court case, I read it. Brynn and I read it. And at the end, Satan went off to recess, never came back. Same with the spirit of infirmity. Now, I don't pretend to know what that means. It even surprised me that he could do it. How do you run from God? I I don't fully understand that. Except that there are authorities, get this, there are authorities Satan is giving in doing that and going against God that will be held to his account. That's huge. Again, I didn't know any of this really had to do with Satan. Until the court of nations started. And I know I'm not saying this in stealth. And I know he's hearing everything I'm saying. Just so you know. It's intended that way. Because he better run. He better run. Because he has no hold in God's plan for his bride. God is coming To draw a line in the sand. You've heard that time and time again. He's preparing a remnant. To do this work. That he's prepared us for. You know what? I want to read something to you. This blew me away. This this is a prophetic word. It was out of uh, Charisma magazine. Somebody sent it to me. I think it was my mom. Maybe. Or maybe Wendy. 
Um, somebody sent it to me from Mario Morello. I just want to read what he says here. I think it will blow you away like it blew me away. Satan is flooding the world with evil. Many believers are asleep, but not everyone. Some have their eyes wide open. A lot of churchgoers yearn for soothing sermons. Meanwhile, a growing company seeks to understand authority, brokenness, and resurrection life. Who are these others who have their eyes wide open? They're too loud for most. They pray longer and deeper than what is acceptable in respectable circles. They do their duty and suffer through meaningless concerts, seminars, and Christian events, but their hearts are not in it. Many Christians don't want to talk about spiritual warfare because they hate confrontation. These others know we are at war with principalities and powers of evil. These abnormals are secret weapons set apart for that perfect moment when God will unleash them on an unsuspecting world. Professional church builders fear them because they scare away the right people. I love that. Carnal believers despise them because they are a constant reminder of compromise. In order to salve their conscience, those who oppose this remnant call them abnormal. But they are not abnormal. They are the very normal. We have been subnormal for so long that normal looks abnormal. Maybe you are one of those Jesus followers who loves just a little too much, who wants more than who wants more than everyone thinks is right. Maybe they roll their eyes when you talk about those things, awesome things you believe God can still do in this dark and evil time. Remember to some Christians, you are a fanatic. But to them, the definition of a fanatic is anyone who loves Jesus more than they do. They tell you your agitation is abnormal. They tell you to relax. But that just stokes your inner fire. They tell you God is in control and you don't have to worry. But you remember the word of God and it tells you to do something. You know that God combs the earth for willing vessels who will throw off the glad rags of religion, take up the mighty weapons of God and thrust the sword of the spirit into the heart of the powers of darkness. Well, my normal friend, it is time for you to know what God is about to do. It's time for me to explain you to you. What will explain you and then launch you is this simple fact. God will not give up America without a fight. He will strike with a force and fury that will leave the God-hater stunned and limp. Satan has grossly underestimated what the Lord is willing to do to spare this nation. You see that same overconfidence in those who follow the devil. 
By the way, let me say amen to that. We have seen it firsthand time and time again. That is truth. The concussion will also be felt within the church. Those preachers who traded their divine calling for the rewards of this world. Those who flattered and dulled the saints. Those who turned God's army into a harmless social club will be exposed. Those who killed the natural urgency of the body of Christ will be judged in this life, not just in eternity. Here's what's wrong with you, my normal friend. You have seen the lie. You see that what lies beneath so much of today's preaching is defeat. What they consider to be an uplifting message is in fact the white flag of surrender. It is summed up in this simple fact. They do not believe America can be saved. They have resigned themselves to a new goal, a false goal, because they have lost faith in God's goals. Satan has sold the church fools gold. Instead of taking up weapons mighty to the tearing down of strongholds, we pursue money, cheap grace, and celebrity because of defeat and unbelief. Faith has grown flabby. They don't know about the power of our weapons. They don't know the limitless extent of our authority. And it is because we don't know our marching orders. We don't know what to say to this generation. So now the stage is set for the normal people to be used in extraordinary ways. They will begin by challenging and defeating the lies of false government and political corruption. Peter recognized when government crossed the line. In Acts chapter 4 verse 19, it said, But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter also understood what to do when the government tries to ban the gospel. In Acts chapter 5, verse 20, 28, it said, and the, the Jewish high council were saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The true warrior understands what is going on. They know the left is coming after our freedom. They know how they will force feed our children the Antichrist's agenda. What they don't know is that you are waking up to your purpose and destiny. God has called you out of the rank and file, the sleepy heads who wander in and out of church. You are being groomed for special power in this hour. The mighty God is creating people to turn the tide of wickedness. He doesn't care about your age or your education. He searches for someone who is traveling, who is travailing over the evil and who will die without power and purpose. They want to be in the fight, and they want to be in the thick of it. 
Isaiah 6, chapter 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for, for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. You are not abnormal. You are simply becoming normal. What you were created to be. The Holy Spirit is energizing you to take a giant leap out of dead church life. You are about to make a courageous declaration of war on the godless ideologies that are destroying our nation. You are being overtaken by an irrevocable need to be in the middle of God's greatest act in history. This is what the normal Christian life is supposed to be. Welcome to the war. A powerful word. And this is something the church needs to get. And we get it here. But this is something the church needs to get on a grand scale. Is that you play a part in it. I mean, it astounds me. It absolutely astounds me how many people actually get involved in things for various reasons. You know, we actually have a pretty good, we we have, what, 320 million people in this country, something like that. And in the last election, it was roughly 125 million people voted. Okay, so that's a little more than a third, and that's actually really good. Do you know, and this blew me away, this is what I was told by a politician in Nigeria, there are 200 million or so people in Nigeria. Do you know how many voted in the last presidential election? 15 million. 15 million decided the course for 200 million people. See, that is complacency. That is letting somebody else decide what you're going to do with your life. What young person here, okay, we, we have mostly young people here. What young person here would not Stand up to me pretty hard if I came to you and I said, okay, here, here's what God has for your life. Let me tell you, and you need to start doing this right now and blah, blah, blah. Here's your first step, second step, third step. Not that God told me this. Okay, but Greg, me, in my thinking, I just think this is what you need to do because it benefits me. Do you think you'd have just a little reaction to that? But yet, that's what we do every day. That's what the young people of our country do every day. They allow themselves to be led by a mob. Led by a mob. It's astounding to me. When you go to these universities, and they are like the hotbed of liberalism. Why? Well, first of all, shame on their parents who paid the tuition. Because in this country, it's the people that are supposed to lead. In business, it's the customers that are supposed to lead. 
But you know what? If the customer doesn't raise his voice or her voice, then how can they lead? If we don't stand up to this mob that is really tiny in comparison, then we deserve what we get. Are are you guys tracking with me on this? And I'm not just talking about politics. I'm talking about what God wants on this earth. I'm sorry, but transgender, homosexual marriage, abortion. The argument is that that doesn't affect me, so... So why should I even say anything about it? It doesn't affect me if, if this homosexual couple over here is married and they get the same marital rights and all that. You bet it does. You bet it does. Why? Because we are one nation under God. And when that goes against the very God who founded this country and who has a design for this country, then yes, it affects me. So I need to use my right of my voice to stand up and say that it's wrong. Why are they the ones that have the right to do that? I'll tell you why they think they do. Because then they say, well, it's racist for you to say that. Or it's xenophobic or all... I don't even know. They go through rattle off ten of them. All these phobics. Well, it's really that for you to say that. Well, okay, how about for you to say it and to push it, is that Christianophobic? Are you speaking against... Uh, we need to make up a term. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Because doesn't it work both ways? Bottom line is truth is truth. Do you believe that? Do you know most young people don't? Most young people don't believe that truth is truth. They believe truth is whatever they decide it's going to be. It's called a relative truth. Well, it's relative to me, so that's truth to me. No, truth is right here in the Word of God. Just because you don't believe in Jesus, just because you don't believe in God, maybe you believe in Buddha, or maybe maybe you don't believe in anything, doesn't make it not true. Just because you don't believe in gravity doesn't mean you could just float up into the air. Doesn't make it not true. Truth is truth. And if the church, the real church, who knows Jesus Christ not only as Savior, but those who have a relationship with Him, if the church will just wake up, they would recognize that they have not only a voice in this country, they will have the voice in this country. Do you understand why? Because they have the God on their side. Do you know when we go to court, I'm not worried about are we going to beat Satan in there when we go to the court of nations. I'm not worried about that. Why? Because everything we're saying is based out of his word. And it's the judge who wrote it. So why can't we have that confidence 
as a church to speak. You know, I've been praying from the beginning of this process. Lord, just give us a voice. Give us a voice. Give me a voice. I promise you I will not be that preacher that will be afraid. Because, see, all those names, racist, xenophobic, blah, 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 I don't even know what they all are. I, I really need, probably need to memorize them so I know, right? All those names are just that. They're names. Because, see, the truth of it is, whether someone is a homosexual or not, doesn't change my love for them. But see, the problem is, Christians have accepted a false love for these people. If I knew a drug addict and I really loved them, would I just be accepting of their drug addiction? No, now I also wouldn't go in there and just start slapping them around and stop taking drugs. No, I'd put my arm around them and I'd say, do you understand how much Jesus loves you? Do you understand that there is a way out of this that you don't have to be under its control? See, homosexuality is the same way. Same way. How do I know that? Because that's what it says. Read Romans 1. New Testament, by the way. Not Old Testament. Although God is the same then, tomorrow, today. But it's about loving the people to conquer the strongholds that they're under. But it's a war. It's a war because you're not fighting those people. That's why I can say with clarity that it's not about who they are. It's not about being a xenophobe. It's not about being a a racist. It's not about any of that because it's about fighting what is behind them. It's about fighting what the enemy has done through them out of ignorance. It's not how God wanted it. It's not how He wants it. And church, rise up. Claim the voice that God has given you. Youth, rise up. Use the voice that God has given you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I'm not, I'm not talking about being rude. You don't have to be rude to speak truth. In fact, if you want to be profitable in what you're doing, you better speak truth in love. Because love is what expounds that absolute truth and makes it receivable. Just you saying what you think is wrong, shame on you. Shame on you legalistic church. That all you can do is say what's wrong with things and not why. But it's because you don't even understand it yourself. Because you don't know relationship with Jesus Christ. If the church knew relationship with Him, we would already be a ready bride. And let me tell you something. I've been to two chambers. I've been to what we call His chamber. It's the bridal chamber. And then I've been to His ready room. 
been to the ready room many times, but I was there one time physically. And I've told you that story. At the time, I didn't even know what it was. But what I want to tell you about is the chamber. See, I was surprised what the chamber was because it was the bridal chamber. It was the bride. Here on earth, those who live and trust Jesus Christ. It's this room that represents who they are. And guess what? It's dark. The very floor is black. All this dark wood. When we first went in there, it had this dark ceiling. Everything was dark. The father commented he didn't even like to be in there. That breaks my heart. But as the church starts to become readied, we have seen changes in this room. We've seen light, lighting of certain areas where these veins started to change in the marble. We've seen the, literally the roof blown off the place. We've seen this pillar of fire that is placed in there. And at least every time we've gone in there, and by the way, I've gone in there with different seers that didn't know what these things were, and they all saw the same thing. Whereas the ready room is the ready bride. Those who have relationship with him. Now, I don't know why it's two different rooms. I don't understand the layout of how God has it or anything else, but what I can tell you is his desire is not to replace one with the other. His desire is that that bridal chamber become bright, become white floors with the gold veins through the marble, the living veins of this gold. That's what he wants in there. He wants the bride to become ready. And not just a few. He wants them all to become ready. I'm telling you, youth, you have not only an opportunity, but you have a responsibility. Don't think that this responsibility just falls, well, that falls on the pastor, that falls on... You know, the pastor, his wife, or, or the elders and their wives, and, and, and the Sunday school teachers, and, and, and maybe, maybe other people that might step up. It, it's kind of on them. No, that's why the room's black. It's on all of us. It's on all of us. It requires a voice of all of us. This next year, this country is going to see our voice. It's going to see our voice in a good way. It's going to see our voice not just in triumph, but it's going to see our voice in love. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says that's the only thing that makes a difference, is love. But don't be confused to what love is. Love is not acceptance. Love is not acceptance of sin. Why? Because sin destroys. Satan is sent to kill and destroy. 
to destroy lives. If I know that about somebody, isn't it love to try to show them what's really going on? If I love an alcoholic, am I going to give him a drink? Here, feel better. No, everybody would just say that's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. No. You put your arm around them, you tell them Jesus loves them. Tell them Jesus loves them and they have so much more accessible to them. That's what everybody needs. Whether they believe in God or not, whether they realize it or not. Because, see, they weren't created by somebody else. We were all created by the same. And we were created for fellowship. Says it in Hebrews. We were created for relationship. And when we don't seek that relationship with the one who created us, then we go into directions that become carnal, that become destructive. Why? Because Satan is come to destroy. I'll be clear. And I speak this to Satan. This bride loves Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is coming after you. Not us. We're just hands and feet. That's what we are. But Jesus is coming after Satan. That's why he ran. He didn't run because of us. He ran because he knows it's time. Jesus is going after him. So guys, go hard after God. Go hard after Him. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Man, I mean, look at Carson. Carson's dealing with everything. And yet, the posts he's been putting on Facebook, I'm sure have had more outreach than most any of us. So there's not a single one of you that does not have an audience and does not have a voice. As you build your relationship with Jesus Christ, he will then seed it with his authority. And this nation will change. I've been saying it for months. You're going to see change even before the end of the year. I don't know what next year looks like, but (laughs) it's going to be a ride. It's going to be great. And by the way, Donald Trump will win. Lord told me that. He told me that before he won the first time. He'll be in for eight years. Then Mike Pence for eight years after that. Then Nikki Haley for eight years after that. By the way, you know what's funny? When he told me Nikki Haley, that was, that was I, th- I think it was just a few weeks later, or maybe a couple months later or whatever, she, she left being the uh, 
ambassador to the UN. And, and I thought, oh, she's getting out of politics. Okay. No, I didn't hear you wrong. Okay. Well, now, this last week, it blew me away. I was listening on Fox, and who is always a liberal, listening to this lady, and, and I mean big-time liberal, I actually heard out of her mouth, because she was talking about our first female president, and she said, well, you know, if, if, if there has to be a compromise, she said, then, then I think Nikki Haley probably would be the best. <laughs> I, I about hit the floor when I, when I heard her say that. But recognize what God's doing. Recognize what he's doing in, even in, the, in this country. Because next year at this time, it's going to look very different. Come on up, Alexis. This one? Um, I really believe that what's happened in the lack of readiness in the bride today is, we were talking about it a little bit this morning in ladies' class, but it's that we've become believers that make everything, what about me? When we pray to the Lord, what about me? What about me, Lord? You know, didn't, didn't Jesus die so that I could have a good day and so that you could help me through my struggles and meet all my needs? And, you know, and when, you're, when you are needs-focused, when you are me surviving focused, rather than the, the lens through which this cost idea is. You know, the, co- the church today has lost sight of the fact that there's a cost, that in this world you'll have tribulations, but you don't have to stress about that. Be of good cheer even, because I've overcome the world. And the verses that are, are hard ones that we don't like to talk about unless you're in some legalistic circle of, you know, endure hardship as a good soldier. Um, we don't like some of those verses. But yet, when you don't have uh, an understanding of who God is in a personal way, it, it really it distorts everything else, even his word. You know, we came from, from legalism in, in the church, and my upbringing was in legalism. And there were so many do's and don'ts. I want to almost say it was stacked to where I don't know what the do's were, <laughs> except all the, the, the chores of doing you know, service for God. It was so many don'ts. And, and Greg and I have laughed about the fact that now, in, in the things we've given up in this life of purity... We're probably the most legalistic we've ever been, but without the, the reasoning behind it. It's like the Lord is just, yeah, you don't want that. You don't want to watch that. That's just, you know, that's just going to hinder fellowship with me. And, and you don't, you know, that, that's actually not going to calm you, take the edge off. And, and even Bren and I were speaking yesterday about this. The, the, when you read in Colossians 3 to set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth, when you begin to actually set your affection and your love and your heart and the reason for that feel good in the person of Jesus and in the relationship with Jesus, in his presence, the things of this world just really fall short. There, there, is, there is no, first of all, there is no edge to take off <laughs> that's needed by external, circumstantial, or things that, that are satisfying to the flesh. There is no satisfaction. And it can mess with your head a little bit because... It's like the, the scurrying building up to Black Friday is just kind of a, if, if you don't have perspective in where you are and who you are, 
Whatever you think is going to be your moment of gratification, there is no such thing as gratification, true gratification, apart from the presence of God and his voice. And you'll have momentary little highs, but it, it becomes, it falls flat. And the very essence of what Satan offers is that you have to go to the next, next high, the next worst. There's no such thing as addictions, drug addictions, food addictions, sexual addictions. There's no such thing as things just leveling out. They always spiral in a downward, steal, kill, destroy direction. Yes. That is the nature of Satan. He doesn't, he doesn't just let you level out and coast. He's, his agenda is always to destroy. And he gives you payoffs along the way. And that's where the deception comes in. But the purity, the, there's just nothing like walking in purity, not, not riding the roller coaster of guilt and condemnation. And then, then you, you pick up yourself by the bootstraps and you do some good things for God and now you feel okay about yourself again. And, and then you stumble and fall and now you're condemned and you feel bad. And, and it's just like, what is that about? Whereas God just, just the fact that he gives immediate forgiveness, that he loves you, that he's right there, that he's for us, not against us. See, I can learn from that. I can learn from people uh, that are spirit-filled and the Holy Spirit himself and Jesus being my advocate that is just for me. So when I stumble and fall, he's right there to pick me back up again. Like a, like a parent to a child just learning to walk. There are stages. They don't, you know, oh... This, this one-year-old or this two-year-old or five-year-old or whenever you're learning to ride a bike, they fell down or they're just worthless. I'm just going to give up on them. No, a, a loving parent sees that and says, okay, let's try again. You got it. You got it. You could do this. You know, and I'm here. I'm here to support you. That's what relationship with Jesus is. So why would I ever want to put anything in front of that? Right. And that's really the essence of walking in purity. Now, it's a work in progress. There are things God's revealing to me that are things I didn't even know. He's, it's like every time he begins to convict me, and lately it's been on my love walk and, and the idea of addressing and, and counseling people, and he's like, I'm going to teach you a little more about love. And every time he begins to convict me about something, he's teaching me now to get excited about being convicted about this because it means he's going to take me higher. He's going to take me to a new level of understanding and a new um, a new benefit of wisdom, like when Proverbs 4, I think it's 4, 7, says in all you're getting, get understanding, get yeah. wisdom, get, get it because it will, it will bring you the benefits. Read on in that chapter and it's like the, it, it, it refers to wisdom as a she and it, it's like there, there's so much benefit to the wisdom of God flowing through your life and that's just that spirit-filled life. So, um, but but I, I just want to say one last thing that, that he said that was so important. Don't buy into the deception of the definition this world gives with love. Because if we're not careful, then we're going to see the passion and the voice and the strong stand as something that's kind of a, okay, somebody's losing their temper. Ooh, that's maybe not godly. You know, can you imagine being with Jesus when he decided to run into that church and turn over the money changer tables? You would have thought, okay, let's pray for him. He's kind of, you know, kind of not walking right. I mean, can, you know, can you imagine, you know, sometimes we, his passion and love for purity and, and holiness that wasn't happening in his church 
was a fire holy love demonstrated in what he did. And so when we get this voice, you know, in Colossians 3, it says, it's a short verse, I think it's also uh, 7 or 9, and it says, don't lie to one another. Because it's talking about purity, taking off what's evil, clothing yourself with what's good. Don't lie to each other. Don't avoid confrontation. See, that's part of the me, me also. Well, I, I, avoid, I, just, I need to feel good, and I don't want people mad at me at church, because if, if people get mad at me at church, then I'm going to have to quit churches, because you know, I'm going to have to quit that church and go to another church and hop to the next one because you know, somebody isn't my friend anymore. No, know who you are and tell the truth to somebody. Yes. Don't, don't enable a behavior. Don't, you know, if somebody's stumbling, don't address it because it bothers you. Ask the Lord what to do. Always pray first. But when he gives you a word of exhortation, when he gives you that, that, that charge to, to love on them and ask them what's, what's happening, you know, it, it may be something that you can see with your human eyes and it may be something that doesn't make any sense to you, but the Lord's giving you a knowing. That is how iron sharpens iron. Yeah. How do you think iron sharpens iron in the body of Christ? You know, there's friction. Think about that. Iron, sharpening iron. It, it creates heat, friction, some pain sometimes. But when we have just a me only, then we never not only know how to receive exhortation, but we also don't know how to get it. And then we begin to lie to one another. And now, oh, everything's fine. Oh, you're fine, honey. Oh, oh, yeah, I, I need to tell you that I, I'm just really not been confident in my identity, so I'm, I'm thinking about maybe changing genders. Oh, well, isn't that sweet? Well, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm right here for you because I'm your friend, and I'm going to just support you through it. That's actually what's happening in the bride today. Yeah. Because people don't know how to tell the truth anymore. Because they don't want to upset anybody. Because it's like, just don't rock my world. It's just all about me. I need to feel good. I got too many problems. But you don't know my boss. You don't know my finances. I, I just, I don't need conflict with you. That is the most selfish thing. If you love them, if you love them, gasp, gasp, like you would a child going into a garbage pail to eat something that you know is clearly crawling with maggots. Oh my goodness, honey, don't touch that. Oh, oh, let me help you. That's right. Oh, you don't want that. Ick. Ooh. We need to love one another that's like right. that. Yeah. And that's where the bride has gone wrong, is this, yes. but what about me, Lord? But I, just, I mean, I'm not seeing it yet. So I just, you know, I know I know, I haven't prayed a lot, but that's because I'm not seeing it. Because, you know, I just, I mean, I'm not getting my needs met. I mean, come on. It's hard, Lord. You know it's hard. You know, we've all been there. But it's like, man, God wants us to endure hardship as a good soldier. We're not doing it in our own strength. That's the coolest thing. As yeah. soon as I start whining, I know I'm in my flesh. Yes. No matter what it is. Because that's not indicative of the strength of God. The overcomer, the victor, the more than conqueror. What's that about? That's about the fact that we're in a battle all the time. We're not denying we're in a battle. But he is the strength in my weakness. And it is utter weakness. Yeah. It is utter weakness. <laughs> I even thought... Shoot, I wish I could have whispered to Jeff real quick to do communion. Because physically, I just was feeling just coming out the cold and all kinds of just stuff going on. And, and then the Lord was like, who's making this be about you? You're, you're going to be fine. You know? Because he, he laid it on my heart to do it. Greg asked me. I knew it. But in that momentary weakness, I was like, I, just, I can't, Lord. You know? And, and God just like, no, you can do it. And I'm not saying there aren't times when he says, yes, honey, you're sick. Rest. But when he says to do it, do it. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's the difference between walking and abiding in his spirit and his strength and making it be all about our flesh and the gratification of the lust of our flesh. So really good word, really needed word. Because you know what? When God gives us a voice, if we don't have the right one, 
then it's not one that we want to speak out. It's got to be truth. It's got to be true. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for how good you are, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't mean you don't exhort because you want us to come up higher. You want us to trust you for what you're trying to prune in our lives. The dross that you're trying to dig up out of our lives to scrape off so that we are refined pure as gold for that fellowship with you. So God, I just thank you. I thank you for that process. And I thank you, God, that in that process when we stumble and fall, you are for us. You are for us. So let us not be, God, as you say toward the end of Philippians 1, let us not be intimidated by our enemies and the things that would come against us. Because when we believe you, when we trust you, it is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. As has been declared, and we are headed there in that readying of the bride. He will be destroyed. So we will endure. We will be steadfast and unmovable in your strength. Apart from you, we can do nothing. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the promises in your word and your loving presence that, as we sang earlier, breaks the chains. It tears down the shame and it removes the fear. Oh, God, you're so good. We we don't deserve it, and yet you've given us everything. We are walking billionaires in the inheritance that you've given us. Yes. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.